Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And as you turn there, let me remind you that at Selmore Baptist Church, we exist to pray, give, go, and disciple for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. One way we do that is through missions partnerships. And one partnership that we have right now is with um, Camino a la Cruz, a Hispanic church plant in Omaha, Nebraska, and Pastor Angel Morales. And I had the opportunity to speak with Angel just a few days ago and uh, ask how he was doing. They're doing very well. They had some baptisms recently in their church. Like a lot of churches, they are still waiting for everyone to come back, and that's probably going to be a little bit uh, still. But uh, we just encourage you in your prayer time, please remember Pastor Angel. Please remember Camino a la Cruz. And hopefully, uh, when all of this COVID stuff dies down, we'll be able to send some teams up there and work alongside him and help him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This morning we continue our 10-week journey through this book. This is week number two. As you may have noticed, we're not picking up today exactly where we left off last week. Our goal in this series is not to touch on every single verse, but rather just to give a good survey and sampling of this book and its content. As we discussed last week, the book of Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible's wisdom literature, written by King Solomon, we believe, toward the end of his life. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon reflects back over his years and is very honest, often brutally so, about things that he has learned, and in some cases, things that he would do differently. If we can narrow the theme of Ecclesiastes down to just one word, it would be the word that is used 38 times in this book, and that is the word vanity. When Solomon uses the word vanity, he's saying one of three things. Either something is A, fleeting, B, futile, pointless, or C, unfathomable. Now, which one of those three uses depends on the context. Last week, Solomon opened this book by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And what he meant in that instance was from his point of view, life is futile. It's meaningless. It's pointless. And we said the reason that Solomon felt that way is because he was out of fellowship with God. Solomon was pursuing sexual immorality and idolatry, and his sin was stealing the joy from his life. And so, of course, he did feel like his existence was pointless. But the lesson is that it doesn't have to be this way. In reality, life can be rich and meaningful. Life can have purpose. It doesn't have to be vanity. But in order to have an abundant life, we must find our meaning and our purpose in Jesus Christ. You see, we were created to bring glory to God through the worship of Jesus. And until we accept that and devote our life to that purpose, We'll always be lost. We'll always be despairing. We'll always feel like life is hopeless. Another way of saying this, which many of you have heard before, is that every person in this world has a hole in their heart that only God can fill. We were created by Him in His image to bring Him glory and to be in fellowship with Him. And until we let God fill that hole, 
we'll try everything in the world to fill it with something else, anything else. And some of those things may feel good for a while, but in the end, they'll leave us void and empty and still searching. Today's text is the story of Solomon trying to fill the God-shaped hole in his heart with earthly pleasures. And remember, he's the king of Israel. He can have anything and everything he wants. Nothing is off limits to him. But in the end, no matter what he tries to fill that void with, it's just never enough. If we are wise, we will hear Solomon's words to us today. We will learn from his mistakes. And thus we will look not to earthly pleasures for our satisfaction, but rather we will look to the one in whom true joy is found. So let's begin reading our text today, and we'll see what we can learn. We begin with Solomon making a, you might say, a strategic decision about the way that he's going to live his life. Look with me, if you would, at the first part of verse 1, chapter 2. Solomon writes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. We'll pause there. All right, Solomon makes a fundamental decision here about the way that he's going to approach his life. And basically, it can be summed up this way. If it feels good, do it. Get all the pleasure out of life that you can possibly get. That's what Solomon means in verse 1 when he says in his heart, I'm going to test you with mirth. I'm going to test you with pleasure. I'm going to give you every single thing that you desire. And then we'll see what the outcome is. You might say that Solomon's conducting a little experiment here. And he doesn't come out and say it, but I believe he's thinking it. Maybe, just maybe, this way of life, pursuing pleasure, giving myself everything that I could possibly want, maybe that will finally fill the hole in my heart. There have always been people, and there are plenty today, who choose to live their life this way. On one hand, I suppose that it sounds fun on some level to deny yourself nothing. Sounds good to our flesh, at least. But in reality, it's a very empty and selfish way to live. Because when your approach to life becomes all about your personal pleasure, at that point, you're not loving God. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not taking other people's feelings into consideration. You're not taking God's law into consideration. You're not the least bit concerned about personal holiness. The only thing that matters when this is your philosophy is whatever feels good in the moment. But the question is, does that work? Can that approach to life bring satisfaction to our soul? Let's see if it worked for Solomon. All right, what's his conclusion after living this way? Look at the second half of verse 1. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Guess what? It didn't work. It wasn't enough. No matter what Solomon tried, no matter what earthly pleasures that he pursued, nothing satisfied him. It was still vanity. It was still futile. It was still pointless. 
In fact, I think one could make the case that Solomon's even more empty after this experiment than he was before. Listen to how lost he is. In verse 2, Solomon calls laughter madness. In other words, to Solomon, laughter is insanity. Why would anyone laugh? What's there to laugh about? There's no humor to be found in life. Life is awful. It's pointless. Man, is that a caustic way to live or what? Can I just inject something here? God created us with a sense of humor. And when we get to the point where we can no longer laugh about things, and especially laugh at ourselves, we're in a world of hurt. But that's where Solomon was. That was his frame of mind. Also in verse 2, Solomon says of mirth or pleasure. What does it accomplish? Again, what's the point? It doesn't fill the hole in your heart. Solomon's attitude is that we may as well all be monks and live in a monastery and take a vow of silence and just sit in our room all the time. Listen, God put us in a beautiful world to enjoy and to explore. He gave us family and friends and people to love. He gave us good food to eat and beverages to drink. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He gave us five senses, not only taste, but sight and smell and hearing and touch, like those cotton balls Sarah was describing a while ago, that we might take tangible pleasure in the blessings of life. Now, pleasure in and of itself is not wrong so long as we find our ultimate pleasure in God himself and give him the glory for the things that we enjoy. But that's not what Solomon was doing. Solomon was trying to find satisfaction in selfish and carnal pleasures that did not bring honor to God. And that will never work. So, what were some of the specific pleasures in which Solomon tried to find satisfaction? Well, our text spells out three. So let's keep reading, and we'll identify what those are. Look with me, if you would, at verse 3. Here's the first thing that he pursues. He says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. Here's how Solomon looked for satisfaction. He looked for it in substances. Solomon did something that many of us do when we're struggling. He turned to a foreign substance to put into his body to bring him comfort and help him cope with the circumstances of his life. In Solomon's case, verse 3 tells us that substance was wine. Now, Solomon's also quick to tell us right after he mentions gratifying his flesh with wine that he still guided his heart with wisdom. In other words, Solomon is saying, well, I didn't let the drinking go too far. I didn't completely let go of my wisdom. I just wanted to experiment a little bit. I wanted to lay hold on folly for a little while and see if drinking might be something that's good for men to do. Now, did Solomon really keep his drinking under control? I don't know. Maybe he did. I I have my doubts. I do know there's a lot of people who abuse substances who claim that it's under control when it's really not. Whether Solomon drank to excess or not, the point I want to make is that 
the wine, this, this foreign substance he put into his body, ultimately did not satisfy him. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. Many of us are guilty of this very thing. We turn to foreign substances for our comfort. When we're sad, when we're stressed, when we're bored, we turn to various things. Alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, pills, food, pornography, and the list goes on and on. And here's the problem. Anytime that we turn to those things for our comfort, instead of turning to God, we have effectively made those things into an idol. We have effectively made those things into our God. Because those are the things from which we're trying to derive our satisfaction and find our comfort in rather than in God himself. And friends, you know this, it doesn't work. Now, drink and drugs and food and pornography, all of those things can bring pleasure. They can feel really good in the moment. They can numb the pain temporarily. But when the high wears off, where does it leave you? Even more broken and lost and hopeless than you were before. These things are a cheap imitation for the peace and the joy that comes from being in proper fellowship with God. Now, I would just say, if you're here today and you're struggling with some kind of foreign substance having a stronghold in your life, the answer is not to try harder. That's a recipe for failure. The answer is to turn to God, to ask him to remove that temptation from you, to ask him to help you find your satisfaction in him alone and not that substance And then you must find mature Christians to come alongside you, to pray for you and encourage you and to hold you accountable. And you may feel like the situation's hopeless and you'll never be free from this addiction. But I promise you that in this room right now are people whom God has set free. And you might be surprised how many there are. You are not alone. Confide in someone. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Let us help you. You will never find satisfaction for your soul in those substances. Now, let's keep reading and see what else Solomon tried to find satisfaction in. It wasn't in the wine, so let's try some other things. Verses 4 through 8. Well, I made my works great. I built myself houses, and I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. Here's how we summarize those verses. Solomon looked for satisfaction and stuff. He looked for satisfaction and stuff. You name it, Solomon had it. Look through those verses again. Houses, 
vineyards, orchards, herds and flocks, silver and gold, even male and female servants, some of whom were his own personal singers and musicians, some of whom, as some of your translations make more clear, the female servants performed other duties. This guy had everything according to the world. There, there is nothing he laid his eyes on that he could not have if he wanted. We see people like this in the world today, and we think, man, it would be awesome to be them. Can you imagine just anything you want? Just go out and buy it and not think anything about it. Second or third home, a brand new vehicle, a boat, a luxury vacation, just whatever. No big deal. And then I suspect some of us would say, I don't need to be rich like that. I just want to go buy a set of tires and not be a big deal, right? Maybe a little bigger house, maybe a little newer car. But either way, we fall into this trap of thinking, if I just had this, if I just had a little more of that, then I'd be happy. And friends, we need to recognize that's a lie of the devil. We will never find our satisfaction in stuff. It may make us happy for a little while, but when the newness wears off, we're right back where we were before. Do you know what brings lasting satisfaction? Being satisfied in Jesus and being content with what God has given us. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you want to be happy in life? Do you want to be satisfied in your soul? Then learn to be content with what God has given you. G.K. Chesterton once said, there are two ways to get enough. One way is to accumulate more and more. The other way is to desire less. The more closely we walk with God, the less earthly stuff that we desire. The old hymn says it well, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we mature in Christ, accumulating more stuff just isn't as important. And to take it a step further, it's not only about being content with the amount of stuff that we have, but it's also about being willing to let go of even what we do have if God requires it. We must learn to hold the material possessions of this life with a loose fist. Corey Timboom once said, I have learned that we must hold everything loosely because when I grip it tightly, it hurts when the Father pries my fingers off of it. How many of us can identify with that? Dear friend, if you're one who's trying to find satisfaction in material possessions, you must stop. It is vanity. You'll never find it there. Solomon had everything his heart desired, and still it left him lacking. It couldn't satisfy the longings of his heart, and it won't satisfy yours. Only Jesus can fill that hole. Always remember, everything, everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Nothing plus Jesus equals everything. Let's look at the last thing Solomon tried to fill the hole in his heart with. Look at verse 9. So I became great 
and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. Here's how we're going to summarize that verse. Solomon looked for satisfaction and stardom. The key there is, so I became great. He's talking about recognition. He's talking about celebrity. One thing about accumulating great material wealth is that while it may not matter in the grand scheme of eternity, it will get you lots of attention on earth. And that's exactly what it did with Solomon. As it says in verse 9, or as he says in verse 9, he did become great. He did excel more than all of those who were before him. 1 Kings chapter 4 says that the fame of Solomon was in all the surrounding nations. Not only because of his wealth, but because of his great wisdom. 1 Kings 10 says all the earth sought the presence of Solomon. Kings and queens and dignitaries traveled long distances just to see, just to hear Solomon. And when they came, they would pay tribute to him and they'd bring him even more stuff. Solomon very much became a celebrity of sorts. He was a rock star. Now surely having everybody know your name and look up to you and admire you, surely that would bring great joy and satisfaction to your life, right? I mean, how many people today do the same thing? Always trying to climb ladders, always trying to get more followers, always trying to get a bigger platform, always trying to make a name for ourselves in this world. But to what end? Stardom and celebrity can't satisfy our soul. It can't fill the hole in our heart. Just look at how many modern celebrities overdose or take their own life. It doesn't work. And if that's what you're counting on, that one day I'll be important and one day I'll be respected and people will know my name and then I'll be satisfied with life. If that's what you're counting on, you're going to be sorely, tragically disappointed. Ask Solomon. He'll tell you that's not where it's at. Well, Solomon's thoughts in this passage are wrapped up in the last two verses. So look with me, if you would, at verses 10 and 11. He says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no prophet under the sun. Again, Solomon says in verse 10, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. But what was the result of that? We see it in verse 11. Indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. What was the conclusion of Solomon's little experiment in hedonism? His little experiment in self-pleasure? Living for self, living for pleasure is vanity. It's pointless. There's no lasting joy. There's no lasting satisfaction to be found in it. And then in verse 11, he sums it all up by saying, there is no profit under the sun. In other words, there is nothing worthwhile in life. Well, that's a bright and cheery sentiment, isn't it? Solomon is just a ray of sunshine in this whole passage, this whole book, isn't he? Well, what in the world are we as modern readers supposed to do with this passage? What do we take from it? How does it apply to our lives? Here's the bottom line. 
And this statement is true for the book of Ecclesiastes, the entire book. And I'll repeat this statement more than once in this series. But the vanity of life under the sun, S-U-N, points us to the value of life under the sun, S-O-N. Passages like the one we've read today should drive us toward Jesus. The point of today's passage is not to simply make an observation about the hopelessness of pursuing satisfaction through earthly pleasures and then just leave us there, depressed and discouraged without answers. No, all of Scripture, including the Old Testament, is pointing us toward Jesus. And so when we read this passage today in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we understand and we're reminded that life apart from him is vanity. It is pointless. Solomon is exactly right. We're never going to find satisfaction in earthly pleasures. And so that realization then hopefully drives us to ask the question, where can I find the satisfaction that my heart so desperately longs for? Where can I fill this hole in my heart? And friends, the answer to that question is found in God's word. And the answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we will admit to God that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, if we will believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again on the third day and then truly and genuinely commit our life to following him, that God will save us that he will give us eternal life. And not just eternal life in heaven, but also abundant life, meaningful life in the here and now. When we give our life to Jesus, then we discover life's meaning. Then we discover our purpose. Then the hole in our heart is filled and we have peace. I'd like to close by asking you a question today, a simple question on the screen. Have you given your life to Christ? If you're ready to make that commitment, you can do that today. You can do that right now. You can call upon the name of Jesus and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe you died for me and rose again, and I commit my life to you. If you'll turn from your sin and put your faith in him, he'll meet you right where you're at, and he'll save you. I'd like us to bow our heads. I'd like us to close our eyes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this passage. And Lord, we see from it the vanity, the futility of trying to fill that hole in our heart with things from this world. Help us to see that. Help us to know it. And God, I would just pray right now, if there's anyone here this morning that is trying to fill that hole with anything else, that you would show them the only one who can fill that hole in their heart, the only one who can fill that void is Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would give their heart and their life to you this very day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.